Well, I want to say good morning to our church family. Good morning to all of those who have fresh sunburns from the nice weather we've been experiencing. Good morning to those of you who are sitting in lawn chairs on your back deck enjoying a nice coffee this morning. Good morning to those of you with sore backs and knees from planting your veggie garden this past week. Are you excited for summer? If you're excited for the warmer weather, just find like a sunshine emoji and throw it in the comments. Would you do that? Let's have some fun with it this morning. Well, this morning we're continuing our series in Jesus, Miracles and Mercy. I am so excited to speak this word. You know that Jesus' miracles caused a lot of commotion. Jesus' teaching on mercy stirred up a lot of controversy. Today we're going to look at how different crowds responded to Jesus' miracles and mercy from the Gospel of John. So would you turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John? This would be a great season. Can I encourage you? Grab a physical copy of the Bible. We're talking about the Bible app, and maybe you're using your device to watch this service that you would typically use your Bible app on. So grab a physical copy of the Bible. That's just going to help us to connect physically in this time of social distancing and using so much technology. John chapter 3 is where we're at. The Gospel of John is a really personal account of the life of Jesus from one of Jesus' closest friends. You've seen that famous painting where all the disciples are gathered around Jesus for the last meal and the disciple John is seated right next to him, embracing him, his close friend. John's probably one of the youngest disciples. We've been digging through the Gospel of John. Last month we looked at John chapter 1. You remember John chapter 1, I think it's verse 5, I encourage you to memorize it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's John chapter 1. The purpose of John is the same as Jesus' purpose for his miracles. The purpose for Jesus' miracles is so that you would know, so that you would believe that he is the Messiah, and believing you may have life in his name. Well, the Gospel of John is the same purpose, so that you would know and so that you would believe. The Gospel of John records so much of Jesus' interaction with people. Do you realize that much of Jesus' teaching was not just to large crowds? Much of Jesus' teaching was one-on-one conversation with individuals. And we'll see one of those conversations here in John chapter 3, along with next week in John chapter 4, and a few as we go from there. I want to dig into this whole idea of miracles and mercy And how people responded to the signs that Jesus performed, but also to his teaching on mercy. The grace that he was instituting was so counterintuitive in an age of law and condemnation. So the group that I want to talk about this morning is the religious crowd. What did the religious crowd think about Jesus' miracles and mercy? We're going to take a little trip today in our sermon, so I want to encourage you to stick around. We're going to do a little character sketch on the person of Nicodemus. But first, let me give you a little bit of context into where we're at in the Gospel of John. Jesus has been baptized by his cousin John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And then he heads into the wilderness, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. He's there for 40 days. He's tempted by the devil, but he never gives in to temptation. Jesus lived a perfect life, and that's why he could be our sinless sacrifice. 
Jesus returns from the temptation in the wilderness. He arrives in his hometown region of Galilee. He's teaching people and preaching, talking about how he is the Messiah. You remember last week how he arrives in the synagogue in Nazareth in his hometown and the claims that he's making about being the Messiah are filling his hometown crowd with such wrath that they drag him to the nearest hill and threaten to throw him off because he wouldn't show them a sign. He wouldn't do the same miracles that he was doing in Capernaum. (laughs) But Jesus turns around, he walks right through the crowd, which is a miracle in itself. And what we talked about was Jesus' message of mercy. Sometimes we experience the miracle of mercy in what God doesn't send. There are seasons in life where we're asking for miracles. We're asking for God to give us answers. But oftentimes, the miracle of mercy is in what God doesn't give. Praise God, God doesn't give us what we deserve. Would you join me in prayer as we open this morning? And then we'll look at the story of Nicodemus and Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, I just want to praise you for who you are this morning. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for his miracles, for his mercy, Thank you that this is just not ancient history and a historical figure that we're looking at, but these miracles and, mi- and mercy truly mean something for us today. They are fresh and new even now. God, we thank you that your word is inspired. It's relevant for our current cultural context. God, we thank you so much. God, we pray now as we look into the story of Nicodemus and his conversation with Jesus what Jesus' miracles and mercy meant to Nicodemus being a religious leader. God, help us to open our minds and hearts for what you want to accomplish in our life today. We thank you for who you are today. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 3 and verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's part of the Sanhedrin. It was the top 70 Jewish Pharisees that were the religious rulers of the Jewish people. And Nicodemus holds a prominent position in the Sanhedrin among the Pharisees. He is the teacher of Israel, is what Jesus calls him. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. The name Nicodemus actually means Nico, victory, and Demas, slave. He's bound to victory. He is a slave to success. Does that tell you enough about Nicodemus? This is a performance-based individual. He has climbed the religious ladder to the top. He has a high position in the Sanhedrin as a Pharisee of Pharisees. Now look at verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night. Now why would Nicodemus come to Jesus by night. Why would John feel that that's something that needs to be included in scripture? Well, I have two thoughts. Number one, this is during the Passover feast in the city of Jerusalem. There are a ton of people. There are Jews who have traveled from all over making a pilgrimage to the city of Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. Jesus also had tons of fans and followers, people who wanted to come just to see his signs, other people who were following him for his teaching. Jesus was a hard man to get to with the crowd surrounding him. So just maybe Nicodemus came by night so he could have access to Jesus. But more than likely, I think it's reason number two. Nicodemus was using darkness of the night as a cover for what he didn't want people to see. 
He didn't want the other Pharisees in the Sanhedrin knowing that he was going to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus. He didn't want the people in the community knowing that he was talking with Jesus. So he's sneaking around in the cover of night to speak with Jesus. Does that sound familiar? I mean, do we tend to sneak a little bit of Jesus in privately when people aren't looking? But then in public, when our colleagues ask us questions, well, we don't have any comment on that. The Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, for it's the power of God. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. So why did Nicodemus take the chance? Why did he risk his reputation, his position, his religious authority to talk to Jesus? What did he want to know? What questions did he have? What was this conversation going to look like? This is the tension that we're going to dig into. Look at the rest of verse 2. Nicodemus said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, scholar, we know the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the religious community, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs, no one can do these miracles that you do unless God is with him. Now he is so close, so close. Can you sense it? Jesus, you must be from God. Jesus, God must be with you. Nicodemus is what we would call a seeker. He's right on the edge. He's leaning in. He's been watching Jesus. He's been studying Jesus. He's been talking about Jesus. He wants to know more about Jesus, but he's not ready to commit. His curiosity is enough that he's willing to sneak out in the night and have a conversation with Jesus to see if he can answer his questions, but his faith is not strong enough to fully commit. You see, all of Nicodemus' tradition told him that Jesus was out there. You know, Jesus does not fit with the law that we hold to as Jews. He's different. But the power of Jesus' miracles and his teaching just drew Nicodemus in. He needed to know more. He needed answers. But he just couldn't wrap his traditional pharisaical mind and point of view around who Jesus was and what Jesus did. The miracles. Surely Jesus must be from God. God must be with Jesus because that's the only way we can wrap our mind around these miracles. I mean, how else do the lame walk? How else do the deaf hear? How do the blind see? You have to be from God. You know, mysteries are really difficult for a scholar. And so are miracles for a realist. I mean, Nicodemus' question is, who are you really? I mean, here's what we know about you. Here's, here's what we think about you. But who are you really, Jesus? Look at verse 3. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus crashes right through Nicodemus' worldview, his philosophy of life and faith with two words, born again. <laughs> Why? Why would Jesus do that? I mean, 
Nicodemus came for a one-on-one -on -one conversation. He obviously wants to talk. So why after one statement would Jesus cut right to the chase? Why not have a little more of a soft conversation and invite him in? You know, let's ask some leading questions. Nicodemus, what do you think about this? Nicodemus, how do you feel about that? And then get to the root of the conversation. <laughs> but Jesus cuts right to it. Now, picture this. Somebody sends you a text message, one of your neighbors, friends, colleagues, and says, Hey, don't you go to Faith Baptist Church? I just heard that Faith Baptist Church is collecting letters on behalf of the families affected by the shooting that took place last month. Man, that is awesome that they are doing that. Letters coming in from across the country. That's so cool. And then you respond with, you must be born again. No emojis, just exclamation points. <laughs> well, can I encourage you? That would probably be the end of the conversation right there. So why did Jesus cut right to the heart of the matter? Here's the truth. Jesus knows his audience better than any speaker knows any audience. And that's a good rule of thumb. If you're going to speak to a crowd of people, you better do your best to know that crowd of people. And Jesus knows his audience like nobody has ever known their audience. Jesus knew Nicodemus more than Nicodemus knew himself. Jesus could see right through Nicodemus to the hole that was in his heart that religion had left. His, all of his religious performance and achievement and getting the position he has as teacher of Israel couldn't fill that void in his heart. And Jesus says, you must be born again. Nicodemus, you're not going to experience God's kingdom unless you are born again. How hard you try, how much you know, how much you perform, it's not enough to enter into the kingdom of God. You must be born again. This isn't something that you can attain. Instead, it's something that you receive that God has already accomplished for you. You must be born again. The miracle of all miracles. Look at verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I've always found that to be a funny picture. And Nicodemus just does not understand. And I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. Look, Nicodemus, with all of your study, with all of your knowledge of the law, with all of your teaching, with the high religious profile that you have attained, that's not enough to get into the kingdom of God. <laughs> You don't understand this because this is something that you have to receive, not something that you achieve. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus talk, is talking about physical birth, the water, um, science class. You remember our bodies are made up of, what, 70 or 80 percent of water? Physical birth. But then he's talking about spirit, spiritual birth. He's talking about a change so radical, so much more than this physical life has to offer. Jesus isn't talking about a second chance at a mediocre life of trying and striving. This is so different from the way that Nicodemus has been living his life. It's as if he's been born again, not physically, but spiritually. Look at verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. You know, Jesus turns to a parable, which he often does in his teaching. He uses an earthly example to illustrate a spiritual principle, and this time he talks about the wind. The Greek word for wind is the same Greek word for the Spirit. You can't see the wind. You can't see it. You can see the effects of the wind. You can see the leaves as they move in the trees as the wind blows through. You can see where the wind has been. You can't see where the wind is going. You can't see the wind itself. It's the same with the spiritual realm. You cannot see the Spirit, but you can see the effects of the Spirit. You can feel the power of the Spirit. You can see how the Spirit changes the atmosphere, but you cannot see the Spirit. In one sense, it's a mystery. Look at verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How? How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Oh boy. I mean, how can you be the teacher of Israel, a Pharisee of Pharisees, in the Sanhedrin, teaching through the Old Testament scripture, the law, the prophets, and not know about spiritual life, spiritual rebirth? I mean, surely Nicodemus must have read Ezekiel chapter 36, where God talks about giving them a new heart and putting a new spirit within them, taking out the heart of stone from their flesh and putting in a heart of flesh. And God says, I will put my spirit within you. How could Nicodemus have missed that? As a church, we've been going through the Bible. We're on a three-year journey through the Bible. What are we, about two years in? We've gone through the Old Testament. We've been pointing out all of the stories in the Old Testament and how they point to Jesus, how they point to God's plan of redemption for all of humanity. How could Nicodemus miss it? Well, the truth is a lot of people miss it. A lot of times we miss it. I don't know if it's our tradition. I don't know if it's our, our upbringing, our culture, our society, all of the lenses through which we view Scripture, the different perspectives we look at Scripture from. But oftentimes we tend to miss the main thought that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, to die for us. Praise God for the miracle of all miracles. Look at verse 11. Truly, truly, amen, amen. I say to you, we speak of what we know. We bear witness to what we have seen. But you, you Pharisees, you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Look, Nicodemus, if you can't understand the earthly things that I talk about, how are you ever going to understand when I talk about spiritual things? If you don't believe me when I talk about physical life, how are you going to believe me when I talk about spiritual life? You missed my point about the wind and how it illustrates the Spirit. If you don't understand what I'm saying about the wind, how can you understand what I'm saying about the Spirit? 
You know, there are so many people who are in Nicodemus' shoes today. They think the church is a physical building. They think that Christianity is a set of rules. They think that access to heaven is based on your performance. And Jesus is saying, you are missing an entire realm. You are missing the spiritual realm. Nicodemus, you think that who you are is your performance in front of people in public. And you think you can sneak over here in private and talk to me. But the truth is, who you really are on the inside is spirit, spiritual, your soul. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, this is a story from Numbers chapter 21. The Israelites are traveling through the wilderness, and they start grumbling, complaining, wishing they could go back to Egypt, wishing they could die. And all of a sudden, poisonous snakes come out. Don't say that things could never get worse, okay? Even in this situation, things could still get worse. We are experiencing God's grace in our life in so many ways. These poisonous snakes come out and they start biting the Israelites and Israelites are dying because of the poison. God says to Moses, make a bronze serpent on a pole and set it up so that whoever looks at the serpent would live, would live and not perish. <laughs> Jesus is telling Nicodemus, look, the snakes that bit the Israelites aren't the only snakes. There was a serpent in the garden who poisoned all of mankind with the poison of sin. And that poison of sin, Nicodemus, is in your heart as well. And if you would only look to the Son of God, you could be saved. It's something you receive that God has accomplished for you. It's not something that you accomplish by your own performance. And then we come to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know, just as God saved those Israelites from the poison of those serpents. God is offering salvation to all of us who have the poison of sin in our own lives. If we just receive what Jesus has accomplished for us. But Jesus knew what to talk about next. He knew what Nicodemus was thinking. He knew what the Pharisees were all about. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe it is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus knew exactly what Nicodemus was thinking. You see, as Pharisees, they were all about the law. And all that the law could do was condemn. All it could do was point out our sin. It's powerless to save. So the Pharisees were people of condemnation. They would just point out all of the rules. You can't touch this. You can't talk to that person. You can't be seen in this area on this day. You can't walk this far from your house. You can't eat this. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't. Condemnation. <laughs> and praise God, Jesus' teaching and his miracle is so opposite from everything that Nicodemus believed about the law. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus didn't come to say, don't, you can't. He said, through me, now you can. 
Through me, now you have access. Now you have an invitation. Praise God. Nick, you want to talk about condemnation and judgment? Look at verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Exposed. Stepping into the light. Looking for the light in the midst of darkness. I just picture Nicodemus. He's standing out here in the dark, talking to Jesus. He comes to Jesus by night, and now Jesus is saying, those who are in darkness need to come to the light. (laughs) And I just see Nicodemus thinking, you're talking about me. You're talking about me. I'm sneaking around here in the dark because I don't want people to see what I'm doing. I'm living this double agent life. In public, I'm one way and I want them to see my religious performance. But in private, my insides are spinning with curiosity at who Jesus is. I just have to sneak out here in the darkness of night and find out for myself. I don't know if Nicodemus believed in that moment because that's the end of the conversation. The next day, Jesus leaves. Nicodemus parts his ways. It's the end of the conversation. But you know what? It's not the end of the story. How many people know that sometimes it takes some time? Sometimes the end of the conversation, the end of the circumstance, is not necessarily the end of the story. This season of life is not the end of our story. COVID-19 does not get to define our story because Jesus is our identity. He's the definition of our story. You know, just a few chapters later, Jesus is back in Jerusalem for another Jewish feast. This time it's the Feast of Booths or Tents. Jesus is teaching at the temple and the Pharisees have had enough. It's making them look bad because the people want to hear Jesus. The people aren't listening to the Pharisees. So the Pharisees hire officers to arrest Jesus. Look at what happens in John chapter 7 and verse 45. The officers then come back to the chief priests and the Pharisees and they say to them, why did you not bring him? Where's Jesus? I thought we hired you to arrest Jesus. So where is he? Verse 46, the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. I love that. You see, those officers who were hired to arrest Jesus were arrested themselves by Jesus' teaching. They went on a mission, and their mission was forever changed. (laughs) I love that. They had heard Jesus speak. Look at verse 47. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or any of the Pharisees believed in him? But the crowd that does not know the law is accursed. (laughs) You're going to believe him over us? Well, then the whole crowd is going to be cursed. You know what? Nicodemus is sitting here in the Sanhedrin with the Pharisees watching this take place and he decides, I have to do something. I have to stand up and say something. So here's what he does in verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus before and who was one of the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, said to them, 
Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Now Nicodemus knew he had to do something, so he stands up and speaks, and he quotes the law because he knew that would be safe. He knew that would allow him to fly under the radar, and maybe he wouldn't get in too much trouble. Maybe he wouldn't raise too much controversy, but he just had to say something. You see how he's like right on the edge? He knows he's got to stand up for Jesus, but he doesn't want to compromise his position, his performance, so he just tries to fly under the radar. He doesn't want to make a full commitment. You know, a number of chapters later, John tells us that Jesus is back in Jerusalem for another Passover festival, except this would be his last. He rides a donkey into the city of Jerusalem and he enjoys the Passover meal for the last time with his disciples. Then he goes to the garden to pray. He's betrayed in the garden. He's arrested in the garden. And then he's pushed through a false trial that's rushed through the night. He's crucified an innocent death on a Roman cross. And then look at John chapter 19 and verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was the disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Maybe Joseph of Arimathea is kind of in the same boat that Nicodemus is. He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away the body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. You cannot carry 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes without being seen. Nicodemus has finally come out, and he's finally letting everybody know that he is fully committed to Jesus. In the light of day, in public, his reputation on the line, his religious position is on the line, and he is going all in on Jesus. He is literally putting his money where his mouth is. You know, for Nicodemus to have gotten 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes today would cost about $100,000. (laughs) Can you believe that? A hundred thousand dollars. This Pharisee of Pharisees put his money where his mouth is. He went all in on Jesus. He decided to follow Jesus, fully committed, no turning back. Here we see Nicodemus, who hid under the cover of darkness, now is carrying the light of the world, the body of Jesus, broken for him. You know, our motto here at Faith Baptist Church is share the journey. God created us for relationships, a community with one another, and then ultimately with God himself. And I don't know today where you're at in your journey, but in every journey there comes a sticking point. There comes a turning point, a point of decision, a fork in the road where we need to choose to pull the car over and get out and let Jesus take the wheel. And that was true for Nicodemus' life. I don't know if you're at that point in your journey where it's time to make a decision or not. Maybe like Jesus, maybe like Nicodemus meeting with Jesus, you have this churning curiosity and you're hearing about Jesus, you're hearing about his miracles, his mercy, and you just need to know more. You have questions. Who is this Jesus really? What do the miracles mean? What does his mercy mean? You know, maybe like Nicodemus, you've tried a life of performance. 
a life of religion, a life of following the rules, and that's left you empty, and breaking the rules, and that always leads to consequences. You know what? In a life of competition and performance, there's always going to be more competitors. There's always going to be another step to take. There's always going to be another rung in the ladder that you're going to need to climb. There's always going to be another dollar that needs to be made. And as much as you perform and as much as you achieve and as much as you tried like Nicodemus tried, it's still going to leave that void and that hole in your life. Maybe today for the first time, you're realizing that you're in that point in your journey where you need to make a decision. I pray that today you would realize what Nicodemus realized for the first time, that Jesus' miracles and Jesus' mercy were for him. The ultimate miracle of miracles was for him. Jesus' teaching on mercy was for him. No, we're talking about miracles and mercy that are recorded in an ancient document. But we're not talking about ancient findings that have nothing to do with our life today. Jesus' miracles and his mercy are for us today. His miracle is for you. His mercy is for you. The miracle of all miracles is available for you today. We're talking about being born again. We're talking about new life and it's available to you today. Just think about John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you realize God loves the whole world? Is anybody excluded in that statement? God loves the entire world. There's not a person that God designed that he hasn't chosen to love. And how does God love us? God so loved the world that he gave. He sacrificed. He offered up his most treasured possession in the form of his son. He gave up his only begotten son. Jesus lived a perfect life and died an innocent death for us on the cross. He paid the price for the poison of sin that's in our own lives. That void that religion has left. That void that performance has left. Jesus died to forgive you of your sins. So that believing in him, you would not perish, but have everlasting life. You know what it means to perish? It means to leave this world and step into the next without God, without hope, without comfort. But instead, we can have everlasting life, abundant life. Next week, Steve's going to talk from John chapter 4, where Jesus meets the woman at the well. We're talking about living water that quenches the thirst that your soul has. Today you can be born again. Today you can know that that void in your heart, that emptiness inside of you, that true person that you really are on the inside, your spirit, can be fulfilled and given new life and new birth and be renewed because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. All you have to do is admit that that problem exists within you, that poison of sin. Believe that Jesus died to forgive you and rose again to give you new life and then call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. I pray that today would be the point in your journey, just like Nicodemus, when he decided to go all in on Jesus and put his money where his mouth was to make a decision to stand up for Jesus because he realized that he needed to be born again.
I pray today you would realize that Jesus' mercy and his miracles are for you. Would you join me in prayer? And then our band's going to return for another song. God, I pray today there would be people who would choose to follow you. God, there is no greater choice in this life than to choose the miracle of all miracles that you offer freely to us. God, thank you that we don't need to earn it. We can never deserve it. We can't achieve it. We can't perform enough religious performance to attain it because the goal, the mark, the standard is your holy perfection. Jesus, thank you that you came to earth, died on the cross and rose again to offer us that holy perfection, that righteousness in place of the sin that's in our own souls. God, I thank you so much for who you are today. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the salvation that you offer us. I thank you for the hope, the new life, the community, the new purpose and mission that we get to enjoy all because of you, Jesus. God, we want to praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So 